We'll follow along, and if you have any questions, feel free to ask any one of us here. Like Stephen mentioned, Jacob is up in Conway. Like, uh, it's off, that's why. Like Stephen mentioned, Jacob is up in Conway and is preaching his gospel meeting. And so that gives me an opportunity to come preach for you all. I guess that's a good thing, because it means we'll probably be getting out a little earlier than normal. So, hopefully I can live up to that today. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, starting in verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. Have you ever felt that temptations were going to happen in your life no matter what? And that if you weren't able to resist them or overcome them, it's going to be okay because it'll be better next time. And next time, I'll know how to deal with it because, well, I've already dealt with it. Or maybe the idea that you'll learn from that temptation and that failure and fix it the next temptation around. I think we've all have have probably felt that way at some point. And I think we could have a better response to temptation than just, it'll be better next time. We shouldn't be pushing off resisting temptation or overcoming temptation until the next occasion. That does us no good in our walks with God because it doesn't deal with the root of the issue for us. Temptation is meant to be dealt with properly at every occasion. And that's what I want to talk about today, dealing with temptation. How do we deal with temptation? What is the right response to what Satan attacks us with? How do we handle it when we know that we are weak? The Bible in both the Old Testament and the New Testament shows us in different stories how to handle temptation and how to deal with the devil. And today I want to look at these examples. Today I want to learn how we can strengthen our own spiritual walk and respond to temptation in the correct way, rather than just putting it off until the next occasion. So let's go ahead and begin. Temptation is overcome by fleeing. Sometimes the best response to temptation is physically fleeing it. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 39, if you will. Genesis chapter 39. And one of my favorite stories of the, in the Bible, one of my favorite characters of the Bible, we, we read about Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And this is at a stage in, Genesis, in Joseph's life where he's already been sold into slavery by his brothers. He's already dealt with more hardships than many of us could probably imagine or understand at that age. And yet we're about to see that he's about to be dealing with some more. In this chapter, Joseph is the head of Potiphar's household. Potiphar is the captain of Egypt's guard, meaning he's a very powerful man. And Joseph is in charge of his entire household, all the other servants, all the other slaves. And he's doing very well for himself because God has blessed him in this trial. But we see that Joseph has something else to deal with in chapter 39. Look with me at verse 7, starting in verse 7, or starting in verse 6, actually. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, 
Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except for you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was there in the house, she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. Joseph has a very difficult temptation for him here. We can see in verse 6 that Joseph is a young man who is very attractive. And he's caught the eye of Potiphar's wife, his master's wife. And she comes to him and says, lie with me. And Joseph could have very easily given in. He could have given in to this temptation of sexual desire. But instead he refutes her spiritually. He tells her, I'm equal with your husband. And how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And he tries to resist this temptation by just rejecting her continually, we see. Because in verse 10, she continues to come after him day after day, time after time, moment after moment. And yet Joseph resists. So we see here that Joseph could have, one, given into the temptation of lust from the very beginning. Not only that, he could have given in because of just the pressure and the annoyance that probably came from being asked and bothered every single day. But he still doesn't. But in verse 11, we read of the pinnacle or the climax of this story. She comes into Joseph when he's working alone in the house. And she grabs him by his clothes and says, lie with me. What's Joseph to do? Well, Joseph leaves and runs away. He leaves the clothes in her possession and he runs out of the temptation. Because he understands it's better to run away than to succumb to this temptation. Joseph physically flees his temptation, not allowing anything to hold him back from what may cause him to sin against God. And this is an attitude that we should have when it comes to temptation. Because this is a very real example of how we can flee temptation in our life. But how does this exactly look in our lives? Well, there is always an escape for our temptations. Even if our temptations aren't like Joseph's in sexual nature. Our temptation may be anger or wrath. Imagine someone makes us upset or angry because they disagree with our stance on something, whether that's politics, religion, sports, and we're at our boiling point. They've, turned, they've said so much to us that we're ready to just fight them and physically harm them because we're angry. That's the easy response, to give in to that temptation of physical harm or, or fussing at them because of what they've said. Rather, we can do something else. We can leave that situation. We can flee that temptation. We can excuse ourselves from the conversation. We can just walk out and walk away and just calm down for a little bit to collect ourselves. There's a chance to flee that temptation of anger and harm. Well, maybe our temptation isn't anger or wrath. Maybe our temptation is to drink and to become drunk. If we're in that situation where we're tempted by alcohol and drinking then we can still flee that temptation. We can leave the party that's been thrown, the company gathering that is happening. We can go away. We can avoid that temptation by excusing ourselves from that opportunity and fleeing it. We may be tempted by envy or jealousy. Imagine if we go over to someone's house. We're just hanging out. And we notice they've got a better entertainment system than I do. 
man, their TV's really nice. And yeah, I just bought one a couple weeks ago, but I really want that one. That one looks good. And we start to feel that envy of what they have instead of what we have. We start to let that creep into our lives, that we must have to have the best thing over all of the people in our lives. Well, we may have to stop hanging out at that house. We may have to have that gathering at our place instead. That way we can just dwell on what we have instead of envying someone else and what they have. We can always flee our temptations, but it's not always going to be comfortable. It's not going to be an easy thing to do. It may be awkward. Look with me at 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2 tells us that it is still a response we should have, no matter what, no matter the awkwardness, no matter the uncomfortableness that may come between you and someone else. Fleeing temptation physically is a proper response. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we'll be in verse 22. Paul is writing to Timothy and advising him on some things. In verse 22 he says, So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured him to do his will. In verse 22, Paul is telling Timothy to flee his youthful passions, his youthful desires. And I think this means something more than just an age right here. I think what Paul is telling Timothy is to flee immature desires. Because he is supposed to be mature in God. Mature in righteousness. Paul specifically tells Timothy to flee. That means it's a physical response. You can't just sit there and, and just let it go by or just let it pass. If we choose to flee the temptations like Paul is telling Timothy to, then we're making the mature decision to do what is expected of us in God instead of just submitting to temptation because it would be awkward or uncomfortable to leave the temptation. Fleeing temptation is not easy, but it is a good response to overcoming that temptation. Secondly, temptation is overcome by focus. Now, what do I mean by this? When I say focus, I simply mean a discipline, an orientation towards Christ, towards the goal of being with Him in heaven one day, choosing to focus on what God has promised us rather than giving in to what I want or what I desire. Now, this is more than just reminding ourselves that we are Christians. This is more than just telling me telling myself that I have a Bible and I should be reading it. This is waking up daily and committing myself to doing what is right and what is holy and what God expects of me. And there are two examples of this focus that I want us to examine and flesh out. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, we are given examples of people focusing on God and choosing Him over everything in their lives. And in verse 23... I find as the, the best example of this. In verse 23, we're given the example of Moses. Read with me, if you will, starting in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God 
than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Do you see what Moses has done in his life? He chose the end. He focused on the goal rather than his own desires. And he was blessed richly for it. You see, Moses could have had the royal lifestyle. He could have lived in Pharaoh's palace, in the most powerful kingdom on earth at the time. He could have had everything he wanted, all the wealth, all the comfort, all the peace that he wanted in his life. But instead of choosing what he wanted, what would get him some pleasure at the moment, he chose righteousness. He chose to focus on God's reward than his own. In verse 25, he chose to suffer with his people rather than give in to the pleasures that sin would have given him. Rather than giving in to comfort, he chose to suffer. In verse 26, he was focusing on something more. He was focused on the reward promised to him by God. And he viewed that as a greater reward than anything that Egypt possessed. In verse 27, Moses could have acted out of fear. He could have stayed hidden in the country. He had already run out of Egypt. He already left the presence of Pharaoh. And he could have stayed hidden. He could have lived with his family. But instead of acting out of that fear, Moses went back to Egypt to free his people. Choosing to fight for his people's freedom, for his God's people's freedom, rather than living in his own comfort and hiding from persecution. Moses continually fights temptation. And puts off what he wants because he's focused on the end and focused on what God has promised him always. With temptation, our first thought is often about ourselves. I want this. This will be good for me. I really enjoy this. It's always a me, me, me aspect. And Moses could have very well thought this during his temptations. What would have been good for me rather than for what God wants? We have to have this attitude when it comes to our temptations of of choosing God and choosing His reward over any fleeting reward we have on this earth. And if we do choose that, if we do focus on God's reward, well, then we'll be able to overcome our temptation. The next example I want to flesh out kind of teaches us how to resist that temptation and turn towards salvation. And a few verses later, maybe a page over, in Hebrews chapter 12, we see what our focus should be on and where we should be turning to in those times of temptation. Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Our focus is on Christ, is on the one person who came and died on the cross for our sins. We see what Christ did for us in verse 2 of chapter 12. Christ set aside the wonders of heaven. The place that we are all trying to get, Christ set it aside so that he could come And give us a reward. And what helped him through his suffering, 
His trials, was a joy in that reward for us, was a joy in knowing that there was an opportunity for us to be with Him, to choose Him instead of earthly pleasures. Because of this focus on that reward, we see that Jesus overcame the temptation to save Himself, to rid Himself of the cross, and instead endured it for us. This example of Christ helps us to understand what and how we are to focus on. We must not focus on what is here in the present. We shouldn't be focusing on what may give us joy right now. But rather, we should be focusing on what will give us joy in the end. And so what does this look like in our lives? Well, if we're dealing with sexual temptation, whether that's fornication or pornography, it may not be enough for us to just simply think about the cross or simply just picture Christ in our mind. Rather, in those times of sexual desire or temptation, we may have to remind ourselves of the reward itself. That the reward in heaven, the reward of being more like Christ and resisting that temptation, is far more pleasurable than any fleeting moments of that gratification. We may have to remind ourselves that if we're trying to be more like Christ, falling to sexual temptation does not create us more in His image, but rather it separates us from Him. Focusing on Christ instead of sexual temptations means we push out the desire for ourselves. Instead of focusing on what I want and what desires I will have, I focus on God and what He wants and what He will give me or will reward me for overcoming temptation and being more like His Son. Overcoming temptation requires a constant focus on a commitment we have made to obey Him. What if our temptation isn't sexual, though? What if it's greed? If we desire to obtain wealth or power or influence more than anything else, and that drives us in everything that we do, how do we remind ourselves or focus on the reward at the end? When we think of greed or when we're tempted by greed, I think we should turn back to Moses and see what he gave up. That he valued heaven and the reward promised to him by God far greater than anything Egypt could have given him. I'm not saying we give up wealth or our position. But I'm saying our focus should still be on God no matter what. No matter what we aim for, what we want to be in on this world. We should never allow that to compromise our focus or our desire to be what God wants from us and expects of us. Temptation can be overcome by focus. A desire for the end rather than for the now. And if we're focused on the reward that God has promised us, then the temptations we face will be seen as just a mere hindrance to gaining that reward. Finally, temptation is overcome by faith. What do I mean by this? Well, temptation is overcome by a trust in God's plan and what God has promised us. A faith in the promises of salvation will help us to overcome the temptations and trials in our way. Faith is a simple thing to say, really. We can all say, I have faith. Yes, I know that person, he has faith or she has faith. But in temptation, in trials our faith is going to be tested far more than we may ever understand. And we have to remind ourselves of why we have committed ourselves to God, why we have our hope in salvation. And I want to take some moments to look at some examples of this. Turn with me to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. For those of us that know this story, and for those of us that don't, Job is a very special guy. We can see from the beginning of this book that Job is very wealthy. 
He has been blessed richly by God in his life. But then something interesting happens. We get to see a conversation between God and Satan, where Satan asks to tempt Job. And, and God says, yeah, go ahead. Just don't, just don't physically harm him. And so Satan goes to Job and he tempts him. He tries to get Job to turn on God. Look with me in chapter 1 at verses 13 through 22. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. So we see there's, there's some trials that come to Job. He loses his, his cattle, his camels, his wealth. And then he loses his family, his children. And through all this, he still stays with God. He still has faith in God. But this wasn't enough for Satan. In chapter 2, Satan again talks with God. And, and God allows him to tempt Job even more but not allowing him to kill Job. So starting in verse 7 of chapter 2, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with, his, with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But, but he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women who would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Job is again tempted by Satan. He's tempted with, with his health taken away from him. And yet Job doesn't curse God. He doesn't sin against God. He doesn't fall to the temptation to throw away everything and just give in as his wife suggests. He has faith in God throughout his temptations. And it's not just shown at the beginning of this story. We see it at the end as well. After his cries towards God. In the middle of this book, Job continually cries out and questions why everything is happening to him. He questions God, and at the end of this, this book, he gets his answer, and he is sorrowful for the way he has acted. Job chapter 42, verses 1 through 6, Then Job answered to the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, and now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job understands that the way he's acted towards God, so the questions that he's asked God, weren't right. He asked 
in ways that he did not understand. And so when God responds to him through Elihu and through himself, he repents of what he has done. And he has faith that in verse 2, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Job has faith in God that what God wants and what God wants to do is right and will be continuing. There is faith that God's will will be done and will always work. And so what Job shows us is how our faith should be used in the darkest of times. There, there will be times in our life where we're going to deal with things that seem too much, that seem a little harder than what we expected. But we can see from Job that we should always have that trust and faith in God and understanding that He does not desert us just because things get bad. Faith is not meant to disappear in the hard times, but it's meant to shine through in all of our trials. Like Job, Daniel shows us a faith that overcomes temptations as well. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Daniel's story starts off somewhat similar like Job's does. There are some trials that come to Daniel that he probably didn't expect or plan on. In Daniel's story, we see that he is an Israelite young man, and he's carried off into captivity when the Babylonians come to Jerusalem. As he's carried off and as he's taken to the kingdom of Babylon to become a eunuch for Nebuchadnezzar, we see him decide something by his faith. In chapter 1, we can see that his relocation doesn't affect his beliefs. Chapter 1, starting in verse 8, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate king's food. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had the understanding in all visions and dreams. Do you see the faith that Daniel has in this passage? He's taken out of his homeland. He's taken out of what he knows and what he understands. And basically, he's given a start where he can be an entirely new man. He can choose to do whatever he wants. And no one will know. Because everyone else is doing the same. But Daniel chose a different choice. He chose to keep his faith in God's ways. And stick with what God wanted, even when everyone else is doing something different. Daniel's faith leads him to obedience, even when everyone else is doing something different. And because of this faith, God blesses him. He blesses him and his four friends with, with wisdom and understanding. And Daniel gets understanding and visions. And his faith allows him to stay true to God and overcome the temptation of giving in to what's going on around him. Daniel's faith shows us how we should be when we feel like we are alone. When we feel like we are the only one in our faith, when there is no one around us who has the same beliefs that I do, my faith should still be as strong as ever. I should not give in just because everyone else is doing it. Overcoming temptations by faith 
means that we trust less in our own desires and put our trust more in God's will. Again, this is the mentality, less of me and more of God. It's a putting off of what I want and a putting on of what God wants. Overcoming temptations by faith requires us trust, or requires trust that God is always with us. We have to always remember that God is always going to be with us no matter what we're going through, whether it's good times or bad times. It requires us also to know that God won't tempt us past our desire or past what we can handle. And we read that at the beginning of this sermon in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that God is not going to allow us to be tempted in ways that have not happened before, in ways that we cannot overcome. God knows our weaknesses. He knows what we can handle. And He's not going to allow us to be tested beyond that. But that also gives us a testimony to what God thinks of us. That we have strength to overcome temptations that come our way. We have strength to trust in Him and put our faith in Him rather than in the desires that come to, to us. Temptations are a part of our lives as a, and a part of our walks with God. And we have to understand how to handle them. Temptation can be overcome by fleeing. Physically leaving the temptation is always an option and is always there no matter how awkward or uncomfortable it may be. Temptation can be overcome by focusing on the reward that we have in heaven instead of what is there for our own pleasure on this earth. Temptation is also overcome by faith. Faith that what God wants and what God desires and plans for us is far greater than anything we can ever imagine. The end goal of this is just to overcome temptation. No matter what comes in our life, we have ways to overcome those temptations. And we have to always remember that. Overcoming temptation requires a commitment to God. And that commitment to God is made by confessing your faith into Him. By saying that you believe that Jesus did come down to this earth as the Son of God and died for our sins so that we have an opportunity at heaven with Him. And if there's anyone here who is willing to respond to that invitation, to be baptized and put on that commitment into God, won't you come now while we stand and sing?